Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is the show that brings you actionable business tips and ideas for you to improve your business. And we do that by bringing you expert guests. And today is no exception. Really looking forward to hearing and seeing our guest today. But first, let's introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you for that. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate having you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We have the great pleasure of welcoming Angelo Ponzi to the show. Hello, Angelo. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Angelo is the founder and CMO of Craft, C-R-A-F-T. This is a company that provides consulting, fractional marketing, and leadership services that focuses on small to medium-sized businesses. And let's just jump right in. Angelo, what is the single biggest mistake most businesses make with their marketing in these challenging times? Um, Well, they don't hire me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there we go. We're done. <laughs> um, I think it, it, when we head into these kinds of times and recession talk is left mm-hmm. and right, mm-hmm. what I've seen and in, in during the pandemic, what I saw in the recession of 2008, and, mm-hmm. and I'm a little older, so I've lived through a few other recessions, is marketing is viewed as an expense, not an investment, and mm-hmm. therefore to save cash. They start chopping marketing and and there is so much information. And so during the the pandemic, I mean, in being candid, when, you know, right in uh, whatever that was, February, March, by April, I mean, every one of my clients just stopped marketing. So um, I spent the next several months really focusing on education. I did a lot of research. I went back and, and gathered all this data, wrote these reports and stories and articles about the mistakes that companies have made over the years and really trying to prove that those that continue to invest during these troubled times, when it was over and it's always, it's always over, the ones that did ended up really coming out on top and in some cases superseding even leaders that pulled back. And so that was always my mm-hmm. biggest counsel that in these times is don't react, you know, be proactive in, in how you're doing it and understanding you know, my whole concept is you have to understand your customers, you have to understand the market, you have to understand the competition in order to do all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know that, and you just panic, yeah. you know, you can put some cash on the bottom line, but at the end of the day, you might have kept your doors open a little bit, but can you keep them open on the other side? Mm-hmm. And so that's usually my biggest advice. I've already started to talk about that with a lot of my clients is that's just not stop everything. Let's figure out you know, what can we continue to do and make sure you're still investing? So when this is over, that your competition hasn't surpassed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important. And I think going back a lot further, as you mentioned, of an age to remember previous recessions, if we go back to the Great Depression, there were some glaring examples there of uh, certain industries that kept or certain businesses that kept advertising when everyone else stopped and became world leaders, right? Yep. Exactly. Right. So, Angelo, on your website, and it's something I agree 100% with you, you say that marketing is more than just tactics. So, why then do so many business owners try to implement new tactics and before they get their strategy straight? Why Why do they go into that trap? I, I think it's, it's that, I don't call it a panic, but it's almost like that's what they see and know. And when, when they think marketing, mm-hmm. they think tactics. And right. it's a debate I have all the time. 
And, 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 you know, I sit in these networking meetings with other marketing people and they all talk about, you know, I'm your website guy, I'm your social media guy. And I start my pitch with, I don't do any of that, but I'm going to make that better by understanding. So, you know, if you're changing your website, you're doing social media, you're doing trade shows and all of these kinds of things. And it's certainly from a digital standpoint, if I don't know you, how do I talk to you? Mm -hmm. You know, there are two of you on the screen with me. Mm-hmm. And I bet the way you both consume information is going to be different just mm-hmm. because of our histories. But if I'm only marketing one message, one way, I'm going to miss somebody. And and so I don't think companies understand that. And my consulting with a, a lot of different companies over the years, it is, it's something I just find. It's like we have all that stuff. Yeah, but you're not segmented. Your voice, your messaging is different for this audience versus this audience what's important to them, right? What might be important today to one segment, if I'm talking to a CFO, for example, is very different if I'm talking to an engineer or if I'm talking to mom about, mm-hmm. you know, versus if I'm trying to appeal to a kid. So I, I, but companies don't look at that. They just look at, you know, the, 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 the tactical side, right? The transactional side mm-hmm. and not the strategic mm-hmm. to make them more efficient and better. Mm-hmm. So, so Angela, what is the benefit to a small business to hire a fractional CMO or chief marketing officer? Sure. Well, part of it is you're getting, you know, expertise that frankly you couldn't afford. Um, and you're getting that applied to your business. So from a fractional standpoint, you know, I'm bringing, and I'll pick on myself, you know, well, I won't give you my exact number of years, but let's say 30 plus years of experience that, you're getting brought to your business that if you tried to you know, hire someone like me, you probably just couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when I walk into smaller businesses, they've got a, you know, a junior marketing person, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that person just doesn't have the wherewithal or the experience to really understand all of this. So you're getting all of that, you know, packed into a, a, a you know, whatever, 10 hours a week kind of thing. And for me, it's not, you know, I'm not sitting there you know, having coffee and, you know, shooting the breeze at the water, you know, water cooler, you know, you're getting 10 hours of my time. And so somebody would ask me, you know, Hey, why are you so expensive? And I don't think I'm expensive, but you know, why are you so expensive? And it's like, it's not about the dollar. It's about, you know, the 30 plus years that's packed into that hour that you get. And so Mm -hmm. that's really the value that, that myself and other fractional people, you know, bring to the party. And as you said, hiring somebody full time for that particular position would cost way more than hiring somebody that has that kind of expertise. And you you get to have them for 10 hours a week because that's what you that's all you need. That's that's an excellent point. Yeah. And, and, and Go ahead. No, I was just going to add to what you were saying that that not only do they get uh, thirty years experience, but they get the depth and breadth of your experience that they probably wouldn't get with one person who's only had three or four, only worked say in three or four different companies or industries. You've had exposure to many different types of industries and different businesses, so you bring all of that accumulated knowledge as well. It's not just years; it's it's the breadth of it, right? Well, exactly. I mean, I I've literally worked with uh, semiconductor manufacturing equipment. All the way to ice cream. I've actually oh, sold really? ice cream to Me- to Eskimos because I, <laughs> my clients, 
you know, Cold Stone Creamery, we put, a, yeah, you know, yeah. Cold Stone in, in Alaska. So, but all that experience, you know, to your point, Peter, it, it comes to bear. That's what we bring to understand the nuances and the messaging and things just because we, you know, we have had that experience. Sure. So when, when you get a new client, when, when a client comes to you and says, you know, we need some help in our, our business and they probably don't think they need it in the marketing department, first of all, but they might. What's the first area you focus on, Angelo, when you're called in? Yeah, so um, I usually start off by trying to understand what they know, <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of information and data do they have. In some cases, right. they have a lot of data, but they've never done anything with it. Or they just, you know, they don't think the way I think. So I, I actually, um, a few years back, created a, a marketing assessment that mm-hmm. is more of a business marketing assessment. It takes them through a battery of questions and it focuses on um, your audience, both internal and external, right? Mm-hmm. Most companies don't think about their internal audience as much as they should. No. We look at product. I look at perception in the market. How how are you perceived? How do you think you're perceived? How do you want to be perceived? I look at um, leverageability of your brand. I look at the engagement that you've had, and and then your various strategy. And and so they take them through these questions, and I do this whole thing. And it can be, you know, usually it's senior management, and I've had as I've had as up to fifteen people from a company actually take this. And what it reveals right. is where the gaps are, where, mm-hmm. where are things that are not working, where, uh, you know, the CEO is rating, you know, at a five and, you know, the senior VP is rating at a two. Well, there's gaps. I mean, yes. it, is a true, it is a true story. It was an, in this particular case, it was about onboarding. And the CEO rated their onboarding program a five and the guy in charge of it rated it a one. Yeah. And they looked at each other and said, you think it's a five? You think it's a one? And my point was, Forget that. You guys have worked together for 22 years now asking this question of each other. (laughs) So so what it does is it brings up all the issues. And and one of the reasons I start there is because if I just jumped into planning and there's this misalignment among the group, regardless of what I do, there's going to be not an agreement, right? So I try to work for an agreement up front of what we're trying to accomplish looking for those areas that need to be fixed or don't need to be fixed. Um, another one I always ask the group. So I do a, this, it's a quantitative study. And then I do a qualitative where I interview people. One of my questions is always, you've got 30 seconds in an elevator and you think you see a prospect. How would you describe your business? Guaranteed. If there's 15 people, I got 15 different answers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that's where I typically start because, again, I need to know where I, you know, what my foundation is, if you will. Right. Sure. And and sorry, Kathleen, just to press that one, and and I I can see the advantage of starting like that because unless you get agreement up front, you at at best you're going to get disengagement, at worst sabotage down the line, Mm -hmm. right? Unless you've got that all sorted out right up front. Exactly. uh, Yeah. Sorry, Kathleen, back to you. No, but then given what you've just said and all the assessments that uh, preliminary assessments that you do with a company after that, what services then do you provide to these companies? Sure. So if I look at, I'll call it my kind of standard approach, Mm -hmm. it it all varies, but typically it starts off with the assessment. What I find in most cases, and I'll just go with with most cases, I, I do a competitive analysis. 
And, and so part, part of that is more focused on competitive messaging. So I kind of deconstruct competitors' websites. I reconstruct them. And I'm looking for what they're saying. I'm looking for gaps. I also do um, customer interviews. And so now, based on the perceptions, for example, that I've heard how great we are and all of this, and now I'm actually talking to the customers. So I'm getting client perce- perception, and now I'm getting customer perception. And then I look for areas of issues and things or what are the what are the important message points? Why would I hire a company like you, for example? Mm. And so if I and then I start to see patterns, and so I'll utilize that. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we'll do um, if there you know if there's distributors, we'll do distributors. Um, we'll do uh, you know customer intercepts, especially in the in the uh, you know consumer world. We might do intercepts. We might do some quantitative studies things like that. So ultimately I'm gathering all of that. And then we're also looking at internal data. You know, what do you have? What, as a matter of fact, we're just doing one this morning with a client. We were looking at how long, how long, what's the sales cycle? And based on all these different data, what's win loss? Well, came up in a meeting yesterday that they have three years of history in their CRM. I was like, okay, well, I want to see that data because oh. now I can see, well, somebody's saying, Hey, it's taking too long. It turn, might turn out to be, that's the pattern. Uh, a client a few yes. years ago, we found out from analyzing their data that they win 33% almost consistently of, of every prospect, every proposal that's given. All right. So if I'm given a lot of small proposals, I might win a lot, but that's not going to you know yield a lot of money. So how do we change what's the, you know, the upper mm-hmm. funnel? So that all becomes very important. And then ultimately um, what we, and from that data, then typically I'll go into building their messaging strategy, so their story. And so we'll figure out what their story is. And I use uh, the story brand, we call a story script, mm-hmm. where the client, the company is the guide, the, you know, the prospect is the hero, and how do I guide them to the right conclusion? And then we'll work on all that messaging, whether it's overarching, whether it's sub-messaging. And then lastly, we head into building a you know, strategic marketing plan. And I'm a holistic marketer. So I, you know, depending on the organization, I want to know process. I want to know if it's there's manufacturing. I want to know about inventory. You know, I work very closely with the sales departments. And because ultimately, you know, I'm the top, they're the middle. They got to do the closing. I can get them there, but I don't do the closing. So very holistic in, in my approach. And so when we put a plan together, if it's touching on all the departments and things that I need. I, I go back a, a few years. I'm in a sales meeting. And the CEO says to the head of sales, what do you want today? What's your biggest wish? And he goes, a million dollar order. And everybody starts clapping and screaming. And I went time out to make a point. I said to the head of manufacturing, if we got that million dollar order today, could you fulfill it? And the answer was no. I don't have the inventory. I don't have the, you know, I'm I'm over capacity right now, whatever the story was. And, And so by knowing all of this, knowing process, working again with a client, we found internally that the process is too long, the approval process of things. So now we're working to shrink that process. Why? Because we've actually lost customers because it took too long. Mm-hmm. They wanted mm-hmm. a quick turn. Our process uh, was too much, too too long to get through. So we're, you know, I really dig in. So is that strategic from a marketing standpoint and working with the team, not just websites and social media and tactics that, you know, I could, I, people hate this when I say it, but I could actually care less about that. Right. If I don't know all of this, that's not going to work. So that's why I, I start. That's my typical process. 
Interesting. Wow, very comprehensive. Really, really yeah. good. So <clears throat> before I move on, something always intrigues me. One of the management courses I did years and years ago, um, the very wise person who was teaching us said, let me get this right. Culture str- trumps strategy every time. And and certainly from my years in the corporate world, I found that to be very, very true. So do, do you find as an external guy coming in, you get a lot of resistance or do you manage to overcome that right up front? I would say in most cases, uh, and, and I agree, and culture is definitely driven from the top and it's important that it, it, it really reaches all aspects of the organization. Um, it you know it depends i've had pushback on on things that we're doing but that's also so a learning process right it's understanding sure. some of the nuances that that we have to adapt to um but i would say in most cases uh, we're able to overcome any resistance and and get adaptability once they see that you know i'm not trying to take their job or i'm not trying sure. to put them out of a job right i'm just trying to make everything better and and so i and a lot of my initial engagements, I spend, if they're close or even online, I spend a lot of time. I have a client, local client. Most of my clients actually are out of the, out of the state, but I have a local one. I go into their offices, you know, 15 hours a week, two days you know, on Mondays and on Wednesdays. So I'm actually present. So I'm in the meetings. I'm there. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having this dynamics. I have a client back East. I've been with him for two and a half years out of Boston. And I'm probably on on a Zoom or a phone call with them every day. So so I'm not, you know, hire me. I'll disappear for 90 days and come back with all this wonderful stuff. I mean, it's, right. a, it's very collaborative because then that gets me in a framework. They understand who I am, my thinking, my process and and how I can contribute. And that, I think, helps bring all the barriers down that I'm just not, you know, coming in and saying, here, do what I just said. Here's, sure. There's a rationale behind it all. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. So here, here's one that a lot of people are talking about at the moment, AI, artificial intelligence, chat GPT. So are you getting a lot of questions about that from your clients? Are they worried about it, threatened, excited? What's the buzz? Uh, I think I think that the things I've heard a lot about it um, from clients is about, hey, they can help write our blogs for us. Mm-hmm. I go, we're going to do our content. And and I said, yeah, you know, there's some value to that. I have a, I have a, a a friend who who's used it to kind of prove a point that, Hey, we can write a business plan with it. And, but for me, it's going out, gathering information and coming back. Yeah. Unless I can get the actual source and I validate that source. I I don't know if it's, you know, been plagiarized someplace else. I don't know if it's good data. I don't know if it's good recommendations. So I, my counsel is if you're really interested in this, let's use it for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe to un- better understand some topic ideas and, and things we can we can take off on. I don't think it's there for me yet um, from a chat GPT standpoint. However, on some of the tools that I'm using that are AI driven, they've they've been proving to be pretty fantastic. Shall I use um, um, a, a, a database tool? To I, um, and, the, and it's cool. I can tell you the name if you want me to tell you what it is. Sure. Mm-hmm. Seam- Always English. interesting. Yeah, so I promote them. It's called Seamless AI. Seamless AI, okay. And and what they do is, you know, you can go in and you can search and it'll bring up, you know, whatever, a list of people, let's say, in Coldstone Creamery. And it'll bring them all and all their titles. And then I can basically hit the button. I can hit all or I can hit go find. It'll actually go out, search the internet, go to LinkedIn, 
and come back with validated information, their emails, their phone numbers and all this stuff. So, wow. And it's current versus some of the other yeah. databases that, you know, they call you once a year and they validate you there. So that sure. tool has been really effective. And then I've been searching um, over the last several months for a visitor ID tools. So mm-hmm. somebody going to your website, mm-hmm. you know, flag who you are, somewhere 25, 30%, some claim up to 70 if it's consumer. But most of them were using uh, reverse IP. So you mm-hmm. might get the name of the company, but not the individual. There's some new tools out. Um, one that we're looking at is called uh, Simply Intel. Another one's called uh, Lead Post that actually using AI, similar to Seamless, will go out and actually tell you who the person was that came ah. to your website. So yeah. now, so we're testing that. And uh, one of my clients, he, he, we were just talking about a little while ago, I mean, he's they've gotten like 42 leads and identified 42 people that have look like i mean ceos of companies and stuff that they can sell to just in the last week that's usually yeah it doesn't identify everybody but so mm-hmm. ai i see those kinds of tools becoming very valuable um i'm a little sure. skeptical on the writing part but what was yeah. the name yeah. the name of that last one you mentioned after Lead. the seamless ai the, the last one you mentioned yeah so there's seamless ai is the database yeah simply intel Simply Intel. Simply the Intel. Other one, the other one's called Lead Post. So those are using kind of an AI approach to identifying who's been visiting your website. Oh, must look into that. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's that's very useful. Good. Yeah. Angela, I just want to switch gears a little bit because I'm always interested in sure. in in our guests' personal story and their personal history to find out how did they ended up how they ended up end up where they are today. So you have many years of experience in business, but tell us about your career journey journey and what led you to start your own business, basically. Sure. Um, you know, it goes, it actually goes back to my, to my parents. Hmm. They, they, they had their own, so upstate New York, um, both from big families, you know, big Italian families. And, and my dad uh, was the oldest boy. He actually quit school in the eighth grade to, you know, go work because he had to make money. He had 13, you know, brothers and sisters. My mom was one of the youngest of a similar family. But they, as far back as I can remember, you know, they really owned their own business. I, I tell this story. It's actually a, a book that I'm working on and I did a blog on it. It's called uh, um, The Number Lessons Learned from, you know, the number one plumber in the number two industry. And my father, when I was a member, I was maybe about seven. I, if I was good, which wasn't very often, I got to watch TV and, and eat off a TV tray, right? While I was eating, eating in the living room, which was special. And I remember this particular night, my father had all the trays. And I didn't understand why. I just knew that I couldn't eat where I wanted to. But I later learned he, he was becoming, he was educating himself. He was becoming a master plumber. And so he started his own business. So for the next 40 years, I mean, he he ran his own business. I saw it every day. So I had an opportunity as a kid to work in a lot of different jobs. I mean, paper factories, you know, building uh, parks by the side of the road, historical park, all these different jobs, which I knew I did not want to do in life as well as being a plumber. And, but it showed me the independence and, and how you could kind of take charge. Mm-hmm. So actually when I, I, when I finished school and I came to California, um, I wanted to, as a marketer, I loved the movies and I thought this would be great if I could get in the movie business and be in marketing. I mean, I'd be in I'd be in heaven. 
didn't quite work out that way. I ended up in uh, getting into an advertising agency. So that's kind of sent me in the advertising agency mm-hmm. world. But my second job, we were doing a lot of television commercials. And so I got friendly with the folks. And long story short, at about age 23, I started my first business. And it was wow. called the, started the film cannery. And we had this brilliant idea. I didn't know anything. These guys are like 20 years older than me that we were going to bring Hollywood to Orange County, California. Um, d- didn't quite work out. We spent most of our time in Hollywood, um, but the business took off. And within eight months, it was, it was broke. It was done kaput. And, you know, now I, I spent all my savings and, and mm. I kind of lessons learned, you know, what yeah. I, I put too much faith in my partners. Mm-hmm. I just believed everything they told me. Um, you know, just my upbringing, you were always honest and direct. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just assumed what they're telling me was true. I was, you know, wet behind the ears, so to speak. But that didn't deter me. And and literally from 23, by the time I hit 27, I did it again. This time it was my own marketing firm. And and so my time in the advertising business, I, I was coming to, uh, I tried to buy an agency that I was in and they didn't want to sell. And I'll make the stories really short. But I had been talking to potential other agencies that I was competing against. And I said, what if you could have someone like me, a strategic planner or researcher on your team? They went, oh, yeah, we'd all hire you. Of course, when I broke away and started my company, none of them hired me. Um, but, I, you know, <laughs> but I eventually got going, and that was the foundation. So I was a, a resource. And and I grew that over the next. And then I eventually morphed into being an advertising agency and and then over the next 13 years, I grew that, grew my staff, grew the clients. And then eventually I sold that to a much bigger firm who bought my creative partners and me. And we started another advertising agency. And then in between all those, I'd been, you know, working as a consultant and going into clients and being their CMOs or their VP of marketing. So I've been having a lot of experience. So that actually wasn't new to me when I started mm-hmm. this. So I'd done it before. But going having that opportunity to go back and forth between client and agency, having the opportunity to have grown a couple businesses mm-hmm. and, you know, having one significantly fail, you know, a few others that never got off the, I call the, you know, litter on the side of the road, right? A lot of dead bodies as you're driving along because, <laughs> you know, they don't all work, but mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have a few. So all that gave me, you know, that tremendous experience. I actually bought a restaurant franchise, much to my wife's chagrin that, of course, I still, <laughs> I still don't live that down. It only lasted six months. Another long story. Got out very quickly. Realized that was not for me, but I was convinced it was. Um, so I, again, I dabbled. I tried, and and again, the experience. I've worked in semiconductors. I worked in manufacturing. I worked in the oil and gas industry. I worked in ice cream. I worked in apparel and restaurants. And so all wow. that knowledge and experience, you know, has allowed me to do what I did. So I started this um, in 2014. After um, in after working actually in a really unique market research firm. And, you know, so again, that's was my focus. I, I think I was back ready to go do it again. Mm-hmm. And so that was, uh, it, and, and having done it, you know, were people like questioning, Oh my God, do I start a business? What's going to, I had already done it several times. So I was like, yeah, let's go do it. And yeah. my wife supported me. And, and so that's where we're at. And here we are almost 10 years later. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Very good. Oh, that's great to hear. Very good. 
So, so that leads straight into my next question. And you're, from what you just told us, you're well qualified to answer this one. And it's one that fascinates me. Uh, and that's, Angela, in your experience, is there one habit or characteristic or mindset that differentiates people who become successful from those that remain average or stay in a rut all their lives? Is it one thing or is it more complicated? I think it's more complicated than that because, because you know, business is complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say business, it's not simple at all. No. And so there's there's a lot of different facets as a business owner that you have to pay attention to. And and I was just talking to somebody the other day about this. And you know, they said, what would, you know, what would you would tell somebody? And I said, one of the first things they got to understand their numbers. Most mm-hmm. business owners, and I'll get make get some hate mail on this one, but they don't understand <laughs> their financials. They don't understand yep. the story that the financials are telling them. So as a small business owner, it becomes important. It isn't about the hour or I just got paid for, right? It's about how much time did I really invest? If I've got a project and I think it's going to take X amount of hours and that's my project cost, it's up to me to manage that. When I had the advertising agency and we would do quotes for whatever, an ad, and you know the creative director would say, yeah, it's going to take you know $3,000 of creative time, and then he spends six. Mm-hmm. Well, I just lost all the profit before I even, even sure. finished the job, right? So it's really paying attention to your numbers and understanding what's driving the business and understanding you know how you drive more and more business to the bottom line. So I think that's one mm-hmm. of the key key things. Sure. And then it's it's back to taking my own advice. Who's my audience? Who am I trying yep. to market to? Because because I have a very aggressive marketing program. I'm blogging. I'm uh, have a social campaign going on. My website. Um, I network like crazy, which is another thing I not really had done. I'd say prior to COVID as much as I do now. I, I probably am mm-hmm. in networking meetings whether in person or online. I bet five, six, seven hours a week. So it's almost a full day of my time. And and so I'm out talking and getting people to understand who I am. And and that's everybody from not only sales potential partners who are really good referrals for me, but I mean guys that sell insurance and you know that and lawyers and why? Because Mm -hmm. their their customers also have problems and trying to get them to understand what are questions that you can listen for that might trigger that I'm the right guy. Is it the same that I do? And so that has become extremely important. So, you know, from that standpoint, from a, a business owner that's trying to grow their business, I mean, you've got to be out there. You just can't, you know, be remote and think it, you know, what's the field of dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Build right. it and they will come. Yeah. yeah. They don't always <laughs> no. come. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. No, thank you. That's, that's so important. Just a quick one on numbers. I know that, I'm I'm no longer in any sort of consulting at all, but until not long ago, I was continually amazed at how many business owners and and corporate employees could not work out their break-even point of how many products or hours of consulting time they needed to sell each month to break even. You know, it's something that was drummed into me in my business training generations ago, and yet recently a lot of people still couldn't work that one out and to me that's one of the most basic metrics you know if you don't know what you've got to turn over to break even you've got a problem right well exactly it gets back to if you're gonna you know keep the lights on so to speak or if you're bringing people on and you need to know what that is and so that Mm -hmm. you know that is also a target right if i know that i'm going to have four people working on projects with me and and um, I know I have to buy some information or whatever it happens to be. I need to know what that cost is going to be. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, what I need to to do all all of this. 
And then, you know, then at the end of the day, you want some money that you can stick in the bank and, you know, continue to drive the business. And so that so becomes sure. really important to your point, especially if you get into manufacturing. Yep. yep. You know, you got to, you got to look at that, you know, spoilage and things like that. And you have to understand, you know, labor costs and depending on where you are in the country. So there's a lot of factors that, that really go into it. And it's, and it's really, really important that you mm-hmm. understand all that before you start pricing products and things. Right. Well, you know, we are back to you. Yes, we are out of time now, Angelo, unfortunately, but please tell us how people can contact you. Sure. The best way really is LinkedIn. Um, They can look me up on LinkedIn and LinkedIn has all my information as far as my website. So that's the the simplest place to go to get that. Um, I do very active on LinkedIn. I, I, I publish blogs. I have videos. And then I also have a newsletter comes out twice a month. If they would love to su- subscribe, I'd love new subscribers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my whole part in that is really a lot about education and trying to be thought provoking to get people to think. And, um, you know, I don't do a lot of selling there, but it's about more about education and trying to bring awareness to, you know, the, to better marketing, building better brands. There's cool. my tagline. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. good one. Angela, thank you. thank you very much. It was really good. I really enjoyed that. Yes. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was a great conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to your audience and to you oh, guys. Pleasure was ours. Thank you, Angelo. And thank you all also right. very much again for tuning into our show. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit, uh, visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the Contacts tab where you will find a short application form. We'd love to hear from you. And please, if there are topics that are of interest to you, let us know. We have access to many experts on on this show and uh, hopefully we can help you out. Until next time, everyone, take care. Bye-bye. 